want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians will be in chapter 1 this morning, continuing our, our study. I believe it's page 980 if you're using the ESV or the Bibles in front of you in your chairs. And you're welcome to use your phones to scroll through there, but make sure that's what you're using it for. We're going to be in verses 19 through 26 this morning of chapter 1 in Philippians. And I want to ask you uh, one question. Would death be gain for you? That's a difficult question, an odd question. Would death be gain for you? Would death bring benefit? There are times when I've had a stomach virus or something like that, and I'm very acutely aware that death would bring some benefit at that time. And I've asked God to bring it quickly, if he would, but he has not. But that's not the type of death and perspective that I'm talking about, the type of gain that I think Paul is going to uh, address in this this chapter, in these, these verses where he says death would be gain. You see, it's not a type of death, not in the sense of escape, from, from this life, not in the sense of some circumstance that you're in, escape from that, but it, it might better be addressed in this way, when life here is at its best, would death still be gain for you? You might have noticed in some of the songs, the songs this morning are directed in one in a, in a specific direction, in one of the songs that spoke of, of God as my delight and my reward. Is he your reward? We're speaking of death in this sense that in death we receive Christ all the more. We're with him. And so I want to ask you this morning, is death gain for you? And this is, this is the main idea of what we're talking about this morning in these verses. Only in seeing death as gain do we see at living as Christ. You see, this is Paul's central theme, maybe the central theme of his entire life. This is a verse that we've all probably heard many times. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. I think the important thing that we need to notice here is that only in seeing death is gain can we see living as for Christ. Because it's when we recognize that death is gain, it would be a benefit, it would be reward, that we're able to live with reckless abandon. It doesn't matter what happens in this this life because death would bring so much glory and so much benefit. And so it's in seeing death as gain that living becomes Christ. All for Him, for His purposes. This is what I hope you see this morning, and I hope that it directs your life in, some, in a specific way. As we, as we read the text, we're only going to be looking at verses 19 through 26, but I think it's important when we're looking at a book like Philippians to always recognize the context. And so what I want to do this morning is just start at the beginning of Philippians. I would encourage you, when you're doing your personal Bible study, to read through books like this in one sitting. In one sitting, I know that may not go well with a three-year-old right there, or anything, but when you are able to read through books like this and get the whole sense of what's happening, this is what they would have done in the church. When they received the letter, they would have sat down, everyone, and they would have read the entire letter. And so I want to start in chapter 1 and get the full sense of what Paul is saying, the full context. So I'm going to let you sit today as we read a long portion, but please follow along with me. 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of completion, the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless on the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that... I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us through the living word this morning. We pray that you would reveal the salvation of the Son of God, the Savior, Jesus We pray that you would transform, for those of us who have believed, you would transform us so that the central concern of our lives would be for your glory. 
for the name of Jesus. May death become gain for us so that we may live with the reckless abandon, with the devotion that you have called us to. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, as we addressed the the scriptures just prior to, we said that Paul is helping the Philippians understand where he is presently. We, we said that the Philippians would be quite concerned with Paul, wh- how he's doing as he is in prison. Their hopes were dashed that they have accepted the message that he has shared with them, and yet now he is in prison. This doesn't look like a very strong God, does it? His apostle is locked up. But Paul has assured them that presently his hopes have not gone down about the gospel, but yet he's joyful because the gospel is going forward all the more. And so Paul was informing them about his present situation, how he was feeling, his emotional state at the time. Well, now as we look at these verses, Paul is informing them about his future. About his future. This would have been a concern for them as well. Paul, what, what's the future look like? Is it bleak? Are you going to be there? Is this the end? What's, what's going to happen? This is where we are this morning. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This morning we'll consider just two main points. Death. If death is the future, as Paul kind of deliberates between these two options, life and death in this passage, we are going to explore what both of them might look like. What both of them might look like for Paul. But before we hit that, I want to explain this concept of deliverance. Paul says, through your help in the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Well, this can be somewhat complicated. Scholars disagree on whether Paul is referring to deliverance from his body, as in he's going to be executed, become a martyr for the faith, and he's going to be delivered to be with God forever. It's, the word is somewhat connected with salvation in that sense. But then the, the word could also refer to deliverance from prison. And so there's those two options there, whether he will be delivered from prison and will continue to live, or he is to be delivered from the body and he will be with God forever. I want to suggest that Paul has both possibilities in mind. It's not one to the exclusion of the other. You see, what Paul seems to be saying in verse 20 is that He doesn't want to be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in his body, whether through life or through death. Paul is not saying one to the exclusion of the other. Either one could happen in his deliverance, and in either one, he wants to exalt Christ. That's his main goal. Paul's concern seems in his life, and I think this is just practical for us, not to be so concerned with what situation or circumstances he's in, but it's how does he respond to those situations in a way that magnifies the name of the Lord? This is very practical for us. Friends, it might not be so much about what situation you're in as much about how you choose to glorify, acknowledge God within that situation, no matter how difficult it might be. So as we consider his deliverance I will go from the perspective that he's not saying one to the exclusion of the other. It could be death or life. But either way, he's going to be delivered. This is what's beautiful about the Christian life. Death is gain. Life is for Christ. Either one, we can't lose. And that's how Paul feels. But let's 
first consider what would death look like. I want to consider this first because I want to end with life, which I think most of us here are alive, right? That might be more practical for us at this moment. Some of you will become less less alive as this sermon goes on, but for the most part, you are all now alive. So we will consider that lastly. Let's look at death. Let's look at death. First, Paul wants to, if death is the choice, if death is what happens, he wants to honor Christ in death. And for him, this comes through having full courage. This is what he says in verse 20. It's my eager expectation and hope that I won't be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, There's a certain way of living and of dying that honors the Lord. And we need to be aware of this. Some of us will approach those days where we sense death coming more near and more near. And it's important how we respond to that. Paul says he wants to approach death with full courage so that Christ will be glorified through his body. I think it's important as we look at this to maybe consider some stories that, that even happen in our day. This is, I would suggest to you, this is Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a book that I recommend to you because it has short stories of people who have died for the faith. It's something that you can read in, in less than five minutes. And it's a way of encouraging you, of sharpening your faith and your boldness from the Lord as you realize that people even today continue to live through this. There were people in Nigeria and other countries who went to church this morning at the threat of their lives. But they do it every single day. And so I want to read to you just one quick story this morning that illustrates this boldness that I think Paul is referring to. This is actually from a man named Polycarp who lived just in the first and second century, even knew the Apostle John. And we have records of his martyrdom, his being killed for his faith. He was captured by the authorities, and they were telling him to reproach Christ, to let go of the name of Christ and be a Christian. They wanted to acknowledge him to acknowledge the emperor as a god, the emperor of Rome. And so they were asking him to do this, and Polycarp turned to the proconsul, the authority, and boldly declared, 86 year, years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul urged him again, swear by the fortune of Caesar. But Polycarp replied, since you vainly think that I will swear by the fortune of Caesar, as you say, and pretend not to know who I am, listen carefully. I am a Christian. The proconsul threatened, I have wild beasts. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Polycarp replied, call them, for we cannot repent from what is better to what is worse, but it is noble to turn from what is evil to what is righteous. Then the proconsul threatened Polycarp with fire, but he responded, you threaten me with a fire that burns an hour and is soon quenched, for you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment stored up for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Do what you want. Finally, the proconsul sent a herald to the middle of the stadium to announce that Polycarp was confessing his faith as a Christian. He's in the stadium with many people around him watching and waiting to watch and enjoy to be entertained by his execution. The crowd shouted for Philip the Asiarch to send a lion against Polycarp, but he refused. 
Then they shouted for Polycarp to be burned. They moved him to the marketplace and prepared the pyre. Polycarp undressed and climbed up, but when they were going to nail him, he told them, leave me like this. He, he who gives me, the, gives me to endure the fire will also give me to remain on the pyre without your security from the nails. So Polycarp would be burned. Boldly, he approaches this fire and he would be burned for his faith. Last week, I, I talked a lot about Corey Ten Boom, who was in a, a, a prison in the, uh, during the Holocaust. And her sister Betsy was one who died while there. She was there with her. And Betsy would say to Corey, just as she was dying, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Justin Martyr, who would also be executed for his faith, said, you can kill us, but you cannot do us any real harm. Isn't that amazing? Do you have that mindset that the world really can do you no harm? That to die would only be to gain Christ. It's not necessarily that you're escaping. It's not you're wanting some assisted suicide or you have a a, a martyr syndrome where you're just ready like that and obsessed about it. But it's that Christ would be of such benefit to you that it would you're losing nothing by dying. Is that where you are? Paul he wants to honor Christ in his death. But he also believes that he will gain Christ in his death. This is the second aspect of Paul's perspective as he considers death versus life. He will not only wants to honor Christ through courage in death, but he also believes that he will gain Christ in death. This is in verses 21 and 23. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But look at verse 23. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. You don't really get the sense of it here, but what Paul actually says is something like, it's more better, it's much more better. It's not grammatically even correct, but it's so wonderful that he just puts superlative after superlative and said it's just, it's that great to die, to be with Christ. It's just, it's much more better. It's just that Great. What does Paul mean here? What's it even mean to to be with Christ? Let's explore this a little bit. How can we develop this mindset where we begin to think that being in the presence of Christ is so much better than anything we could ever experience here? Philippians 3, 7 through 9 explores this a little bit more. You see, for those of you who, who don't know, or just as a reminder... Paul had a lot as as it concerns worldly things. He was very high in status, respected in in the groups that he was among. And so in verse 7, Paul is picking up on just kind of exploring who he was before Christ. And in verse 7 he says, in chapter 3, "...whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ." It's not just loss. Paul's, it's scum. For it's really something a bowel movement thing, but I'll, I'll spare you. It's it's nothing. It's it's nothing compared to Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. There it is. 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. You see, Paul knew that to be in Christ, to be with Christ, meant to be in the, in the presence of full righteousness. There's no imperfection there. You don't have any more uh, dirty thoughts or thoughts that are unpleasing. Gossip doesn't occur in the presence of Christ. Drama, it, it, it's not there. Lord, we want to be there. Come on. It, so it, it's just, it's perfection. But that's not all. Jesus is the one in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, you have questions. Jesus only has answers. He has no questions. That's to be in the presence of Christ. He, he is the grand architect of all things. You think buildings are beautiful here? Christ created this whole thing. Through him, all these things were created. He's the very author of creativity. He's the fulfillment of every human aspiration. You have desires. He is the fulfillment. This is to be in the presence of Christ. But you can't really even, you can't put limits on who he is. I found this just funny. Peter and the disciples are returning to the shore in John chapter 21. Jesus has resurrected. Peter said, I'm done with this. I haven't seen, he's dead. What what am I going to do? So he goes back fishing. Peter and the disciples come back and they see Jesus. And he's cooking fish. He's feeding the disciples breakfast. Whoever thought of Jesus as a, as a chef? He, he's cooking. It's just funny to me, but beautiful that Jesus is all these things. We try to we spiritualize him as if he's just this invisible force. But Jesus is the ultimate God-man. He is the God-man. He is all things. What have you longed for? He is that perfect fulfillment. He is all you could ever want and need. By the way, men, he's grilling with charcoal in that passage. I always knew there was something more spiritual about that. But he's also, he's the healing balm for all your sin. You look at Isaiah 53. He was marred so that you would no longer have all the imperfections and the sins. He would cover those by his own Blood. You have wounds, friend, even if they're not visible. Christ is the healer. He is the one who cures you, makes you well. You see, death is not gain for Paul because there's no longer any persecution. Persecution for Paul is just part of the deal of being a Christian. It's, it's not escape from his problems. He's not seeking some type of assisted suicide. It wasn't about what he was losing as much as about what he was gaining. Death is gained because he gets to be with Christ. And friend, the more you dwell on who Jesus is, the more you will want to be with Christ. But if you don't dwell on him, you will not desire to be with him. If you don't enjoy singing here, friend... If you don't enjoy worshiping here, heaven will be no joy for you. I wonder if you do. 
I wonder if you enjoy God's people. If you don't, it's a sign that He is not in you. So I hope, friend, that you will not leave here today without thinking about it, what it means for you to be saved by Christ and to know Christ, to be healed by Him, to be fulfilled by Him. So this is death. This is death for Paul. In death, he will honor Christ through courage, but then he will gain Christ. And so that's why death is just, it's more better. It's just, it's everything but then life. What's life look like, Paul? If you don't die, what's what's your life going to look like? First, we just see this this view that Paul has, this worldview that every circumstance contributes to eventual deliverance, whatever that circumstance may be. In this case, he's in prison. He's in prison, and, and it's an unjust sentence. All he's been doing is spreading the gospel. He's not causing uproars by doing something bad, but he sees that as eventual. Some, it's leading. It's to his deliverance. And so this is how Paul views life, and I hope that you will view life this way, that no matter how difficult a situation is, friend, it, it's leading to deliverance. The deliverance is coming. You will be with Christ one day and all the pain and difficulty will be gone. And so this is how Paul sees all of life. And I just want to note here that he sees the deliverance as occurring through the prayers of the people in Philippi, which leads to the help of the Spirit of Christ. Now look at verse 19 so that you pay close attention here. Verse 19, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. These are so closely connected that you could actually say, I know that through your prayers, which result in the supply of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. You see, Paul believes strongly that the intercessions of God's people affect his strength, his ability to stand up, to be courageous. I hope that this will challenge you to be prayerful for your church and for your pastor, your pastors. Your prayers affect them. I want to read you just a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. Prince of Preachers. And this is what he says. I always give the glory to God for success of the church, but I do not forget that he gave me the privilege of ministering from the first to a praying people. Paul credits all the success to the prayers of his congregation. He says, We had prayer meetings that moved our very souls. Each one appeared determined to storm the celestial city by the might of intercession. It's said that Spurgeon, when visitors would come, he would, take them, he would say, Would you like to see the boiler room? The boiler room? Not really. I don't want to see the boiler room. But he would take them down to the basement in this church and they would look in and they would see hundreds of people praying. And he'd say, this is the reason. This is the reason for the success of the church. If you don't know much about Spurgeon, Spurgeon preached to groups of over over 10,000 people weekly. And that was by the the time he was age 22. And Spurgeon accredits all of it to the prayers of the people. This is not convincing just alone by Paul. Paul, the apostle, needs the prayers of God's people. How much more do all of us need the prayers of God's people? I hope this would exhort you to pray. To pray. So, 
Every circumstance contributes to eventual deliverance. This is how he views life. But then also, this phrase, to live is Christ. What does this mean? Again, Paul gives us a sentence that's not necessarily something we're used to grammatically. To live is Christ, a noun. What, what does that mean? Describe it for us, Paul. Well, first, in life, he's going, just like in death, he wants to honor God with his body. Honor God with his body. He says, whether by life or death, I want to honor God with my body. You see, underlying all of this is something like what he says in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Paul recognizes that his body, everything that he dwelled in, his, his shell, so to speak, it was on stewardship from God. It was given to him, entrusted to him by God. And so his responsibility was to do whatever God wanted him to do. He had no rights in himself because he had nothing that belonged to himself. He was called to glorify God with his body. And just for some practical points for how this plays out in your lives, it means, students, that you don't have sex, so you don't even kiss whoever you want whenever you want. You seek God's desire for your body and keeping it holy. It means we don't even work or play for our own purposes, but we work and play for God's purposes and for His glory. How this plays out in my, in, in my life some, I just it's not exalting, but I, it's something I've realized that if there are certain things that aren't in place in my life, then the rest of my life is completely out of whack. And I'm not submitting myself to the Lord regularly. So I've realized this. If, if I'm not like exercising, it means the rest of my life is, is messed up. I eat too much and then I'm tired. And then all these things go together. I'm not walking with the Lord through his word. This may be hard for you to believe. There's this one thing. If I don't do that, the rest of my life is out of whack and not disciplined. And my body is not devoted and in submission to the Lord. And so I would encourage you to consider what, what things do you have to, to do so that your body is, entire, is in submission to the Lord daily. I think getting up early for me and praying before the day starts and seeking to set my day before the Lord is extremely for, important for how that day plays out and how submissive I am to Him. And so I wonder if you're seeking to honor Christ and submit it in every way your body to Him. This is what it means to live for Christ, for Christ to be your life. But then also, honor Christ with one's body. And Paul tells us, and this is where we will come to a conclusion, that if He is to live, that He will live for the progress and joy of others. He will live for the progress and joy of others. Now, in this whole passage, we have this odd thing where Paul's kind of having this conversation with himself about what he's going to do, whether he's going to live or to die. And he says, which I shall, which I shall choose, I do not yet know. Paul, do you really think that you get to choose whether you're going to live or die? 
what Paul is probably doing here is just saying, if, if, if it was up to me, he knows that it's not up to him, but if it was up to me, I know that I desire to be with Christ. But he says, I know that to continue with you is so much more important for your progress and joy in the faith. And so it's probably not a literal thing where Paul's determining what he's going to do, but he, he thinks, he has faith that he will continue to live on at this time because he knows, he knows that the people need him at this time. So follow along in verses 25 through 26 and let's bring this together. He says, To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul, seeing that the people need him, at this time, says, I'm convinced that I will remain. He has faith that for now, he will remain and he will continue with them. Why, Paul? Why will you continue with them? For your progress and joy in the faith, but also so that in him, they may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul's presence to them at this time was a symbol of God's presence among them. Do you have anyone that means that much to you in the faith? I think that even saying bye, and I may have some favor here and a bias, but saying bye to people like Kenneth and Stephanie who bless us for a period of time with their gifts and with their devotion to the Lord, it's a reminder to us that God is with us and He's blessing us and providing for us. I'm thankful for Angela who has come along and even just this week her sharing her heart and her desire to lead in musical worship. It's a symbol that God is blessing us and he desires for us to know him and to know his love for us. You see, when you have people who encourage you in the faith, people who walk strongly with the Lord and are devoted to him, it's a symbol of God's love for you. His faithfulness to you and to your discipleship. So, Paul's presence among them was a symbol that God was going to be faithful to them. That God was faithful to their discipleship. But all of this culminates in this. The glory of Christ Jesus. This is why Paul lives. If he is to live or if he is to die, it's to the glory of Christ Jesus. Life, death, whatever, it's to the glory of Christ Jesus and that others might glory more in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying to us, as one writer says, that living has no meaning apart from Christ. He is the object, motive, inspiration, and goal of all that he does. Is the same true for you? Christians, as we said last week, most of these things are reminders for you. Things that we touch on a bit almost every Sunday. But I wonder if there is fruit growing more and more in your life because you are in total submission to the Lord. Your body, you know, is is meant for His service. It's nothing to do with you. It's on loan. 
Christian, is death gain for you? And then, for others who don't know Christ, you say, death wouldn't be gain for me. Maybe you don't even enjoy this. You hate being here. I just want to make sure you know, friend, that your eternal destination is either heaven to be with God, it's with Christ and it's joy, or it's hell and it's separation from God forever. And there is no comfort in a life that way. But He would be gracious to you, friend, and He would extend His arms and His salvation to you if you would bow to Him. So I want to pray with you and give you a few moments to respond. I want to ask you this question, church members. This question, and this is what I want you to think about. Do you exist for the progress and joy of others? This is Paul's life. Do you exist for the progress and joy of others? That's the gospel. That's how the gospel is to be lived out in your life. Progress and joy of others. Submit your body to the Lord that He might be glorified in you and that others may exalt in the Lord because of you. This is the life of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that You have saved us, that You rescue our hearts from our own sin, our own selfishness, and You... Lord, You... Push us. You, you transform us so that our lives might be devoted to your glory. Teach us more and more, Father, about how we are t- life is to mean Christ for us. Lord, we are a church who is incredibly blessed with, with funds and with people to serve you and teach your word. These are all symbols of your faithfulness and of your love for us. And so we as a church pray that you would teach us how we are to exist for the progress and joy of your kingdom, of people, your people among all nations. Lord, expand our minds and our hearts that we may devote ourselves more fully to you. And Lord, we pray that you would rescue the hearts of those who have not submitted to you. Lord, that you would use us as your servants to deliver your message of salvation and that you would draw people to yourself. Holy Spirit, we trust that this is what you do. So we submit ourselves to you. Thank you for your great love. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Will you stand?